0: reads this, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. What do you see? Okay, what do you see in this guy? Does this, does he portray boldness? Does Doug portray boldness? Okay, what, what makes him portray that? What just what is it? Heads held high, shoulders back, chest out. It's his. Hey, I I told him he couldn't laugh. It's his posture, right? Posture matters. And this word posture can be defined in several different ways. It can be defined as the position of the limbs and or the carriage of the body in which one is held. I mean, this is that definition of posture. It could be an affected or unnatural attitude. It could be a mental or spiritual attitude. Posture could also be one's image or policy as perceived by the public. And it's that last definition that I want to hone in on this morning one's image or policy as perceived by the public. In other words, as perceived are key in that. Because maybe maybe I saw Melody walk in today with her posture. And maybe I thought, okay, Melody's grumpy. And her posture made me perceive that. And and we know that my perception then becomes my reality. So whether or not Melody is grumpy, for me, she's grumpy because her posture has told me that. Don't be grumpy. What is the church's posture? Now, I realize this question could take us a thousand different directions. We could, we could talk about the posture of this issue or that issue. But what, what is our posture? Now, this, this question stems out of uh, numerous uh, national and international events recently, and it also stems out of some research that was done in 2007. I've mentioned this research before. It was done by the Barna Group. And they researched what people outside the church perceived of those inside the church. They researched what people saw of the church's posture. And what did they find? They found that the church was perceived as hypocritical, got to get them saved, anti-homosexual, sheltered, too political, and judgmental. That's what people saw in the church's posture in 2007. It was not all great. What has much changed? The posture of people in the Bible didn't always come across as perfect either. In just a few short verses in the beginning of the story of Samuel, we see several different postures. Why don't you grab your Bibles, open them to 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to ask God's blessing on our time in the Word this morning. Let's pray. God, I thank you for a chance to open up your Word. Thank you for a chance to... Just dive deeply and and to look and see what people in the Bible's posture was and to be challenged to look and see what our posture is. I pray you'll open our eyes, Lord, to see what you want us to see. I pray you'll open our ears to allow us to hear what you want us to hear. I ask, Lord, that you would speak through me this morning. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Posture matters. We're going to look first at the posture of Elkanah. He was the husband, married to two wives, one who bore him children and the other who did not. First Samuel chapter one, verse four and five. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Panina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion, because the Lord had given her no children. We can learn a lot about Elkanah's posture from those two verses. We can learn that he carried himself in a way that he had always been outwardly taught. We can learn that it was this Jewish custom passed on from his father and the father before him and the father before him to go to a place of worship as a family. In this case, they went to Shiloh. Other times, the families would go twice a year, three times a year at times. And the fact is, we see Elkanah going and offering sacrifices. It shows us that at least he learned the outward rituals or traditions well enough to carry them on with his family. That was part of his posture. And we also see in his posture that there's some unseen components or some lesser-seeing components of the ritual. In verse 5, it says that Elkanah gave Hannah, the wife who had no children, Only one choice portion. Some of your translations may read slightly different. That's because the Hebrew is unclear exactly what is meant in that verse. Some commentators will say that the the emphasis really is on the choice meat word. And they argue that that Elkanah was showing his love and his favoritism to Hannah by giving her the best cut of meat. Other other commentators will, will emphasize the fact that Uh, he only gave her one piece as compared to the many pieces he gave his other wife and her kids. Now either way, we could look at it, it would be correct. Whichever way you choose to look, Elkanah's posture was one of ritual. It was one of tradition. Though he may not have meant any harm by it, his posture of ritual, of, of doing things the way he had always done them, it hurt Hannah. It said to her, Something's lacking in you. Something's missing. So his posture, though not intentional, led to pain in Hannah. You see that in the second half of verse 7, she was drawn to tears and not eating. And then in verse 8, Elkanah has a fantastic response to her tears. He says this, Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask, Why aren't you eating? Why are you downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? I, I love this response because it, too, could be taken in several different ways. And it could be taken as, a, as kind of a, a, playful, uh, a playful phrase from Elkanah to kind of lighten the mood. Come on, baby. You don't need sons. You got me. That's one way it could have been taken. It also could have been taken that he was genuinely trying to comfort her, emphasizing his love for her. Sweet Hannah, why do you need ten sons? I love you more than they ever could. Don't grieve, dear one. Either way, we look at it. Elkanah's posture is still one of ritual, routine, tradition, and it affects Hannah. What is the church's posture? I wonder, I'm just wondering out loud, if the big C church, the church universal, ever comes across to people as more concerned about their ritual, more concerned about their traditions, more concerned about this is the way it's always been done than they are of how that ritual affects other people. Let me say that again. I wonder if the big C church ever comes across as more concerned about their ritual, their tradition, than the effect it has on those around them. I wonder if First Church has ever done anything, said anything that, you know, because that's the way we've always done it, that may have hurt somebody. Do we have a posture that articulates tradition at all costs? I'm just wondering. Posture number two. Let's look at Panina's posture. Panina is the other wife. She is the fruitful one, the one that keeps bearing children. We'll start in the same verse, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 4, and we'll read through verse 7. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Panina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Panina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Panina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle, and each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. It's pretty obvious that Panina's posture is not one that we should emulate, right? And my translation says she would taunt and make fun of Hannah. Some of your translations read she would provoke with the intention of irritating. She would torment endlessly, she would make Hannah fret or tremble. She would provoke severely. <clears throat> and this wasn't just a one-time event. This verse says Panina would regularly treat Hannah this way. Verse 7 says it would happen year after year. Now, did Panina know her posture was bad? It sure appears like it. It appears her intention was to bring Hannah to tears. Looks like it was clear that Panina was purposeful in telling Hannah something along these lines. I have something that you don't, kids in this case. I have something that you don't, and that makes me of more value. That makes me of more worth. I wonder, and again, simply wondering if there ever anything that the Big C Church, the Church Universal does that would come across like that, is there ever any times that we would come across as screaming at, taunting, tormenting, making fun of others? Are there ever any times where we could come across as saying, we have something you don't, and that makes us of more worth? We've seen the silent, perhaps unintentional posture of tradition, custom, ritual in Elkanah. We've now seen a vocal-in-your-face posture of of verbal abuse and exclusion from Panina. And now posture number three. We look at Eli the priest's posture. I would hope that as a priest, the spiritual leader of the temple, we would finally find a copyable posture. So let's start in verse 9. Once, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Okay, so far so good, right? Eli's where he's supposed to be. He's overseeing the happenings in the house of the Lord. And then we see this. (coughs) Verse 12. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Excuse me. As he was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Now, seeing her lips move, but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come in here drunk? He said. Throw away your wine. It's as if he said, Now, wait a minute, young lady. You cannot come in here in that state. We cannot have your type in here. This is a holy place. Do you not realize the the sanctity of the house of the Lord? Do not desecrate that? What are you thinking coming in like that? Now much like Elkanah, the husband, I'm not sure that Eli's posture, how he could have been perceived was intentional. The house of the Lord was a holy place with God himself setting up all sorts of regulations and guidelines for how to worship, Eli was simply trying to protect what he had been called to protect. He was trying to defend God's place. But in doing so, his posture could very well have been saying, don't come in here unless you have it all figured out. Don't come in here unless you're you know, at least striving to figure it out. Some of your other translations have Eli asking Hannah a pointed question. How long will you go on being drunk? It's as if he was saying, seriously, God doesn't want you in that state. Will you never learn? You are nothing but an ongoing loser stuck in the cycle of worthless drunkenness. Be gone from here. Where was Eli's pastoral heart? Where was his shepherding disposition, or or was that just secondary to keeping the temple holy? He didn't even ask Hannah what was troubling her. He took no time to discern what brought her to the house of the Lord that day. I wonder if there are ever times we as a big C church, ever times the church universal come across as that. I wonder if we've ever taken the posture of we must protect this house. This is a holy place, a place of worship. We must do all we can to keep it as such. I wonder if there's ever been any times the church has judged before it has heard someone's story. I wonder if there's ever been any times we have accused before we have asked. I wonder if our posture has ever hinted that You know, God wouldn't want you in here until you have it all figured out. Maybe as First Church, we've never said that. Maybe we've never even thought that, but has our posture ever demonstrated that? The other character in the story is Hannah. She is the one who gets one portion of meat, choice meat though it is. She is the one who gets verbally assaulted by the other wife. Hannah is the one who is accused of drunken addictions that affect her ability to come before God. What is her posture? Heath, Doug, come back up here. (coughs) What is Hannah's posture? If she had this posture. She would hold her head high. She would lay out her defense. She would confront the traditions that made her feel worthless and fight for her human dignity. She would stick out her chest as if to block the verbal affront. She'd prove she was worthy to come into the house of the Lord to worship. This is what most people today would want. This is what most people today would think her posture should be. But it wasn't. Hers was a posture more like this. Listen to the second half of verse 7. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not eat. Verse 10, Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow." And answer my prayer and give me a son, then I'll give him back to you. Verse 15, when Hannah responds to Eli's accusations, she says, No, sir, no, I haven't been drinking wine or or anything stronger. I'm very discouraged. I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. Don't think I am a a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and deep sorrow. What posture does Hannah have? This or this? It, it's not a posture of standing up proudly, ready to take on whatever comes her way. Hers is a posture of anguish, tears, grief, discouragement, pouring out her heart to the Lord. Posture matters. <coughs> Is this a posture that the world would see as strong? Is this a posture that the world would want to copy? No. To the world, this comes across as weak. To the world, this posture comes across as helpless. But Hannah has something figured out in her posture. Hannah's posture is representative of the posture that countless people throughout the pages of Scripture Countless people throughout the annals of history of humankind. A specific posture that God wants his people to have. Listen to Hannah's song of praise after God answered her cry for a son. This is chapter chapter 2. Then Hannah prayed, (coughs) My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows what you have done. He will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken. Those who stumble are now strong. Verse 5, those who were well fed are now starving and those who are starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave and raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes places them in the seat of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's. Do you hear in Hannah's prayer, in her song, her paradigm of power? The bow of the mighty, which was like this, is now broken. It's the stumbling who are strong. Those who are well fed are now starving. The starving are well fed. He lifts the poor from the dust, the needy from the garbage dump. Hannah's song of praise shows us that posture matters. And our posture matters in the here and now. How people perceive us matter. <coughs> our posture is the ultimate sign of the boldness with which we can enter heaven's most holy place know we started in Hebrews 10, 19. Let me read it again. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. This is what boldness looks like. This is the posture of boldness that comes with full recognition that the only way we can enter God's throne room is by having our heads bowed. A deep anguish over our sin, hands out, accepting the only example of true posture that the earth has ever seen. And that true posture is Jesus. A few verses later in Hebrews 10, verse 20, it says, by Jesus' death, did he finish like this? Or did he finish like this? By Jesus' death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For in our guilty consciences, that's this, for in our guilty consciences, we have been sprinkled by Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. I ask you guys to start. Does this demonstrate boldness? This is a posture of boldness. Posture matters. Let's pray. Lord God, we we recognize the, the paradox in this. We recognize the rub in this. In our culture, Lord, in our day and age, boldness does not not scream boldness as we have our heads down, as we have our arms out, as we are crying out. But God, we recognize that Your Word tells us that's what true boldness is. It's a recognition that we can only hold on to Christ and through Christ's blood on the cross, we can enter boldly. God, I pray that you would help us have that posture. I pray that you would help us as individuals have it, that you would help us as a church have that posture. I pray, Lord, that the church universal would have that posture of humility, of grabbing on to the blood of Christ on the cross. God, we want to continually ask ourselves, what is the church's posture and what is our posture? I pray, Lord, you would help us have a posture that is pleasing to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.